I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Okay, welcome to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Uh, Today we have an episode, a very special episode. Uh, We're going to discuss how to respond when your child comes out as LGBT+. Julie, we're lucky enough to have a guest today. Do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah, I'm thrilled to introduce Seth Majnoon. I've known Seth for probably four or five, maybe five years now, maybe even six. And they are a very articulate LGBTQIA plus, what do I want to say, advocate. You know, I should probably just let Seth introduce themselves. Uh, Seth, go ahead. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Seth Majnoon. I am an artist, educator, graduate student in cultural studies, and relevant to this episode, I identify as queer, trans, and non-binary. Great. I I, I think a good place to start is with the. Um, I mean, how would you say it, Julie? With the with the how people identify these days. I mean, the different identifications. Well, one of the things that I get asked from, asked about with regard to parenting is, you know, a parent will call me and say, my child just came out as, and then there's a blank, you know, could be pansexual, could be non-binary, could be trans, could be queer, could be, you know, I think most people are pretty familiar with the term gay right, or lesbian, um, but but parents haven't often heard of really the other parts of the spectrum that are part of gender and sexuality. So, you know, the, the first question that I always get asked is, what does this mean? What does it mean if my child says I'm non-binary? What does my child mean if they say I'm trans? What does my child mean, you know, if they're pansexual and also, why do they want to use they, them pronouns? So I know I've just said a lot, Seth, um, but if you could kind of explain to folks, you know, what, what you and I have talked about over the years about how that all falls out, I think it would be helpful to parents. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to know is that those terms mean different things to different people who use them. Um, kind of by design, uh, all of these terms are trying to contain a really broad range of life experiences. Um, so the the first thing to do, the easiest way to understand how your own child is identifying is just to ask your child, you know, you've said that you're bisexual, you've said that you're trans, what does that mean? Help me understand that. And they might not feel up for going into an in-depth explanation. And if so, maybe you can ask them 
to direct you to resources, or they might not have patience for that either and say, you know, just Google it, Dad, in which case you can <laughs> Google it. Um, but also, like, with the awareness that what you find on Google might not be exactly what your child as an individual person with individual experiences is talking about when they use that word. Do you think in that case, Seth, that a, that a parent if, who does Google it, that it's fair for them to go back to the child and say, or a young adult, to say, you know, this is what I found on Google. Does that resonate for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, definitely, like, in a way that does not suggest that they have to justify how they're identifying to you or that they have to match that description of that identity that you found online in order to uh, sort of qualify. Because <laughs> that can be something that's very fraught. You know, sometimes it can feel like if you don't match the most commonly held understanding of what it means to be trans, like you're not trans enough. But I think mm -hmm. asking if it resonates is... That's very nice phrasing. I like that. Can I just ask, because when we were having some emails back and forth about doing this and you sent some thoughts that I thought were really great, and I'd, I'd love to just go through some of them and kind of have you respond more specifically to what you mean. So let's say there's a situation where a child's going to come out to their parent. And one of the things you say for parents to remember is, remember that your child knows themselves best. What do you mean when you say that? Really, every person knows themselves best, no matter what age they are. And I think for parents, it can sometimes be challenging to see your child moving from a time in their lives where they don't have all the language to articulate who they are and how they feel to a time when they're finding that language and exploring that. And I think some parents will compare what their child is saying about themselves to the image of their child that they have in their own minds from watching this person grow up from birth and have the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, this doesn't match up with who I thought you were. Right. But if they're coming to you and they're saying, this is who I am, they are correct. <laughs> like they it's their know. Truth. Yeah. It's their truth. And that's ultimately the only truth about them that holds real meaning when it comes to these things. And, you know, I mentioned sometimes people's experiences don't line up with the most widely known understanding of what it means to be trans or what it means to be a lesbian and so on. So if you're comparing someone to that kind of model, it might not match up. And the first thing you have to remember is that they've chosen this term to describe themselves for a reason. They've probably put a huge amount of thought and research into it that you haven't seen. So to come back against that and say, well, this, this, this doesn't, doesn't make sense. Make sense. Yeah. Right. Like ultimately it doesn't matter that much for it to make sense to you. What matters is for you to believe them and see them and respect them. 
I mean, Julie, would you say, I'm sorry, is this is this a place where you, you might say zippy the lippy? Because I feel like, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure yes. you, you can have some empathy for some parents that might really struggle with this and feel a need to be like, this doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I have a, f- a friend of mine I saw this summer whose daughter is transitioning and I think she's struggling because she says, I just never saw that. I just never saw an inkling of that. And I guess what Seth is saying is that that doesn't really matter. And if possible, you need to hold on to that point of view if a child has the courage to come to you and say, this is my truth. Well, that's what I, you know, that's absolutely what I would say. And, you know, and I think another thing that confuses parents and and Seth, correct me if I'm wrong, but that gender and sexuality is a spectrum. And so that means that where we are today in terms of gender and our gender and sexuality may be different tomorrow. And that it really can be, I've heard it described as a color wheel. It's not like a spectrum like linear where there are two binary positions, but that it's, that it's a spectrum. So when a parent to me, when a parent says, well, I never saw that. Well, today you are seeing it. Today is different from yesterday and is different from whatever. Um, I also wanted to just comment too, Seth, on what you said about, and I think it's just so wise, just because a kid doesn't have the words to articulate how they see themselves and how they identify doesn't mean that they don't identify in that way. And sometimes one of the things that parents will say to me is, how, how can my possible, how, how can my child at age, I'll just pick a, a, a fairly young age, eight, you know, how can they possibly know what their, you know, their gender or sexuality is because they're only eight years old. And I'm like, well, but they, do know. You know, I've had kids as young as five come out as trans with a great deal of distress because they didn't have the language to say, I'm trans. But I, for example, uh, in a school setting where the, the teacher would say, okay, let's have boys on this side of the room and girls on this side of the room, which I just despise that. And the, this poor kid, and this is a, you know, a true story from a long time ago, burst into tears in the classroom because they knew what they were supposed to do, quote unquote, according to the grownups, but they, they couldn't align that with who they knew they were. So I, you know, I just think it's so important that parents take in what Seth said about just because they don't have the language around it doesn't mean it isn't true. Would you agree with that, Seth? Absolutely. I think sometimes these these kind of feelings about ourselves and where we do or don't fit in appear really early and you can see that and kids just might not have the language and sometimes they don't appear early. Sometimes, you know, there are people who realize that they're LGBT plus in their 80s. Hmm. So it's, it's really, it's a spectrum or range of identities, but it's also a huge range of experiences and of ways that that manifests at different points in your life. And I think for both these comments that you're both bringing up of, well, my eight-year-old is too young to know how they identify, or I never saw this kind of gender identification in my child growing up, so that doesn't make sense. I would encourage parents to 
examine whether they have a double standard about what they would expect to see in a straight and cisgender child versus an LGBT plus child. So for example, if your daughter comes out as transgender, she's like, I identify as a girl, I want you to use she, her pronouns for me, and so on. And the reaction you have to that is, well, you always were perfectly happy to play with boys' toys growing up, and you Mm. ran around in the mud, and you were fine wearing blue jeans, and so on. (laughs) There are so many cisgender girls who do all of those things. So it's it's just as normal for a transgender girl to be, you know, a quote-unquote tomboy as it is for a cis girl. So think about if, if you had known that your daughter was your daughter when she was born... And she was playing with boys' toys and wearing blue jeans. Would you still have understood her as your daughter? I hope so. And, you know, extend that same open-mindedness of what it can mean to be a girl or a woman to your transgender daughter. And similarly, you know, if your son is 11 years old and he comes to you and says, Hey, I have a crush on a boy in my class. And your reaction is, well, you're way too young to know that you're gay. Imagine if he was coming to you and saying he had a crush on a girl in his class. That is so normal and common for 11-year-olds or even younger kids. Um, And I think it's only because it's typically easier for straight children to express that they have crushes towards their classmates because those crushes are culturally acceptable that we don't see that expressed more from gay kids or bi kids. Great. That's a good point. The next thing you say you talked about a little bit is remember that coming out is never easy and that their willingness to share this with you means you've successfully built a trusting, compassionate relationship. Then you, then you wrote, don't let them down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And, and, and honor, so you're saying kind of honor the fact that they're able to have the courage to do this, make sure you show up for them in a yeah, loving, caring way? Both that and also that it speaks to your success in parenting so far that they feel safe coming to you with this, that they feel like there is a loving environment where they will be listened to when they talk about something really vulnerable. It is very vulnerable, even in families where maybe the parents are always expressing that they are accepting of LGBT plus people in general, where it's a, you know, politically liberal family or just a very socially, culturally open family. It is still really challenging to come out it's a big deal um right because often even if you know that your parents are accepting generally you don't know that they'll accept you um (laughs) and sometimes it can turn out that you know from the parents perspective they feel that they're very accepting of all kinds of people but they struggle to 
accept someone in their own family um, and maybe have mm-hmm. those reactions of, well, this isn't what I expected. This isn't how sure. I saw my own child. I mean, even if you see yourself as liberal and progressive, it's never till you're in that moment, you know, that it can be overwhelming. And even kids that might feel they're in a loving, supportive family. I mean, I have some experience with this with people in my own family and extended family. It's still a nerve wracking moment to to do that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also I would say that I think people want to be loved by their parents and even if they feel that they are loved, there there's a fear of losing that love. I know someone who didn't come out as gay to his parents until he was in his 30s. And, you know, even though he'd known for a, a, a lot longer than that. And his parents were like, well, that's fine. Why, why didn't you come out? You know, we love you. Why didn't you come out sooner? And he said, it's because I knew that you love me. I didn't want to lose that love. I didn't want to take the risk. Yeah. The worst case scenario is always so devastating and it's impossible to not consider that when you're making the decision of whether to come out to your family. So the stakes feel really high even when you have done everything you can to convey to your child that you would accept anything from them but the fact that they are coming to you and coming out then really does show that you've conveyed that successfully to some extent yeah so i think keeping at the forefront of your mind that this is a a huge leap of faith and display of trust from your child is really important, both in the sense that that shows that you've built that trust in your relationship with them, and also that you now have a responsibility to follow through on that trust. Right, exactly. Can I also just interrupt for one sec and say that, you know, we use the the term cisgender and some people don't know what that means. So would you like to explain that, Seth? Yeah. So in the same way that trans, as in transgender, is a prefix that means moving from one thing to another or Uh, changing in form, as in, you know, transform, transcend, transgender. Cis is kind of the antonym of that prefix. So it means staying in the same place or remaining in the same way. I think it comes from chemistry. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a chemist. Uh, So cisgender basically means that whatever gender was assigned to you when you were born. So when you were born, the doctor says, oh, it's a girl, it's a boy, which I hope they're not saying as much now, but you stay with that identity throughout your life. So you are born and people say, you're a girl and you go through life and you're like, yeah, I'm a girl, I'm a woman. That means you're a cisgender woman. Thank you. That I think that's that's helpful. Yeah, and you 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 wrote down a couple of questions that parents can ask, and maybe you can just expand on them a little bit. Uh, one of the things you wrote is, "What do you need me to know, and how should I start learning?" 
And you you just feel like that that's a, that's that. something that parents can have in their back pocket for that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think often, you know, Julie brought up before that parents can feel overwhelmed having new terms that they don't understand thrown at them. Not thrown, you know. Uh, it can feel <laughs> like something's being thrown at you, maybe. Uh, sure. A little bit of a curveball when you hear words that you've never heard before. Um, and I think rather than coming right out with, what does that mean? It can be more helpful to find out exactly what your child feels like they need you to know. Because they might not need you to know anything. They might not need you to understand what the terms mean. They might just need your blanket support. Um, right. They might not want to talk through it at all is what you yeah, said, right? Yeah. And it can be really helpful to just have some comfort with discomfort um, and allow yourself to be unaware of some things and own that and understand that you don't have to understand everything right away. And well, and you're probably not going to understand everything. Yeah, absolutely. But some children, young adults might want you to understand certain things. So when you ask, what do you need me to know? They can be really specific about what those things are. And when you ask, how do I find that information? They can either, that gives them an opportunity to either explain that to you themselves or to direct you to resources. So you're not just Googling willy nilly. Yeah. And then you say another question you can ask is, should I do anything differently? Some young people won't want anything to change. What do you mean when you say that? Like if they've they've suddenly identified you you the parent can ask, is there a way? I mean, what does that mean? What do you mean when you say that? Are things that we should change? Yeah. So often coming out will mean that there might be different words or different ways of talking about them or treating them that they might want from you. So if they come out of trans. They might be changing what pronouns they use, you know, they might be changing from she, her to they, them, or from he, him to z, here, any number of things. Or they might want you to change from using certain gendered terms like son or daughter to other terms. But some trans people do actually stay with the same name, pronouns, gendered terms that they used previously. That is not unheard of at all. And in some cases, there will be really concrete steps that they might need help with in the broader world. Like, they might need you to approach their school about what bathroom they can use, or they might need your support if they're taking a same-gender partner to prom, or they might want to introduce their partner to you and they need you to know how to respectfully approach that situation. So there might be like really, really clear, concrete things, or it might just be generally like, I need you to know this so that you know me more fully and just wanted mm. to have it on your radar. That's great. Yeah. Seth, can I ask, just because this is my own confusion as an old man. I mean, I'm not super old, but I'm old, and 
I, I'm kind of confused by the they, them, the pronouns. I have two young daughters, and it's what's amazing is that they don't even really think about it as their friends have changed pronouns. But for me, and I, I think there might be other parents that kind of struggle with this. So I've said to my daughters that when they've had friends that have decided they are they, them, instead of identifying as a specific gender, for me, I sometimes go, wow, isn't that is that confusing? And they're like, no, it's not confusing to them. Why is it confusing to me? So when you make the determination, and maybe you, and maybe you can just speak personally to this, is that when you make the determination to identify as they them, what does that mean? Like, what should parents maybe understand? Because I'm sure there's parents like me. Not that I wouldn't be supportive of my children, and I think what you've talked about a lot today is the exploration of what what does that mean to you. So, can, do you mind just talking a little bit? When you made the determination to say, I, I, I would like to be identified as they, them, what did that, what, what does that mean? And I'm, my guess is, I guess it differs for every person. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, something that people bring up as a point of confusion sometimes is that they see they, them as plural pronouns for when you're referring to multiple people, but singular they, them has actually been in use in English for centuries. And it's something that people use every single day to talk about people whose gender they are not aware of, um, or mm. to talk about like a, a general person. Like it's largely replaced he slash she in academic writing to just say they. Or, you know, if you're talking about, you know, someone you're going to have a meeting with but you don't know anything about them yet, you'll say, yeah, I'm going to meet them at this mm. restaurant at this time, right. and right. they're going to tell me about their project. So it's already something that people have a facility with. It's already a huge part of the English language. And I think the confusion that comes in is really not coming from feeling like it should be plural. It's coming from a discomfort with expressions of gender outside of the binary of man and woman, which sure. is not, you know, something to feel personal individual shame over because that is the culture that you're all steeped in. <laughs> yeah, and 50 it, years. Yeah, it takes <laughs> some time to work through that. And, you know, I think it's it's something that just comes with practice and exposure. It becomes easier to pick up different pronouns quickly. Yeah, I think it can be helpful when you're trying to learn to use someone's pronouns to not give yourself too much leeway to get it wrong. Because if you keep telling yourself, you know, I'm not used to this, I'm not good with this... Right. That's giving yourself a pretty long leash to make mistakes. And mm -hmm. every time you make that mistake, it is going to hurt the person who you're talking about. So internally, be a little bit hard on yourself um, because it is important. <laughs> it does matter. But externally, try and go with the flow because sometimes, you know, if you overcorrect and make a scene about it over apologize 
that can also be a tough social situation for the person you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's a that's a fine thread. I kind of like that. What you're saying is because it's it's a difficult transition for parents. I mean, I already did it a couple of times today, but I also like that you're saying don't give yourself too much of a break because it's <laughs> not going to shift. You got to really consciously kind of think about it. Julie and I have talked about it a lot because she's very facile with it now and I'm not. And uh but I I kind of like that as a as sort of an idea for parents too that that's going to be a transition for you, but work on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that the more you start to expand your understanding of gender broadly and of gender expression, the easier it gets to pick up the right terms for people quickly. Because once you're detaching a pronoun from a certain look and a certain model of what a person should look like, uh, it's much easier to apply the right pronoun to the right person based on who they are, who they tell you they are. Yeah. Um, and this goes for cis people just as much as trans people, you know. There are plenty of gender non-conforming cisgender people who get misgendered, who get called the wrong person, you know butch women who get called he him or get called sir when that's not the preferred terminology for them and also there are cisgender people who do want uh terminology associated with the quote-unquote other gender used for them so this is something that really goes beyond trans people and is just about respect for the people around you <laughs> and talking about them in the ways that they prefer, which are always the ways that are correct. Right. And honoring each pe person's individuality. Yeah. You know, within whatever, regardless of how they identify themselves, it's every person's an individual. Every person has an individual way they want to be addressed. You know, I, I will often, when I'm trying to explain it to parents, it's like, you know, well, how would you feel? Let's say your name is Cindy. How would you feel if someone constantly said, yeah, you don't look like Cindy to me. I'm going to call you Dave, you mm -hmm. know? And you're like, but that's not my name. You know, yeah, it's not absolutely. my name. It's not who I am. Don't change things because you feel more comfortable with it. Yeah, I think it's really important that we do honor, honor individuals, you know, and and each person is unique. Yeah, and Definitely. it's the same kind of double standard of you hopefully would not call a cisgender person whatever name you feel like they should be called instead of the name they introduce themselves to you with. So should not right. do the same thing to a trans person. I want to mention something else you you wrote about which is small, but I think is really important as something for parents to keep in mind if they're having their conversation with their this conversation with their child. You wrote, find out if your child is coming out to everyone or only to you. Don't share mm. the information with others without permission. That's really important, right? Yeah, that's very important. When you tell someone that somebody else is LGBT+, before that person is ready to come out in that context, that's called outing someone. And it can be very dangerous and have really major consequences, as well as just being a breach of trust and a breach of 
a boundary and respect. So it's really important to make sure that you know exactly who your child is telling this information to. They might just be telling you and not their other parent if you're in a two-parent household. So that can be a really delicate situation to navigate because, of course, you might want to tell your spouse or your co-parent, but your child might not feel like that trust is there with the other parent yet. Um, Mm. So it can be really important to be patient with that. They might not be coming out at school. They might not be coming out to all of their friends or to the extended family. I think sometimes parents feel like a major thing in their child's life is a major thing in their own life, and therefore they have a right to talk about it and are entitled to share that information with other people, you know, talk to their friends or their other family members and say, my child just said that they're identifying this way and I don't get it and so on. And It's understandable to want to talk to your support system when something major happens in your family, but ultimately it's not your life to talk about. It's not your information to disclose and it can have really major consequences for Mm. the person you're talking about. So if you need support, Hopefully you have a therapist you can go to to talk it through with. If your child has disclosed it to another parent or another family member, maybe you can talk about it with them. But don't spread that information around beyond where your child has specifically said they're comfortable with it being shared. So I have a question for you, Seth, based on that and, and, and something that happened with one of my, with my clients in the past. And their daughter uh, came out as a lesbian to them, but did not want to come out to the greater family in general. And, and the mother was a little confused as to how to handle when, you know, Uncle Dave, and that's a made up name. But Uncle Dave said, so any boys in the picture for this kid, you know? And and the mom was like, I, I, I don't, I mean, do I, what do I, do I correct them? My advice, and please feel free to correct me if I was wrong, as I said, I said, it's really none of Uncle Dave's business whether there's any romance in the picture. And I think you could say, I don't know, you know, or I don't feel comfortable you know, talking about my, my, my daughter's, uh, romantic life. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's spot on. Uh, I also think, you know, if you think it could cause a conflict to push back against uncle Dave, that could have blowback for the daughter. So in that case, exercising your social niceties muscles can be really necessary to just like move past that conversation as quickly as you can change the subject say you know i don't think she's dating yet um or we don't really talk about that i'm not sure yeah just try to end the conversation as soon as you can um (laughs) whether that's just putting the kibosh on that, like you said, and saying, 
that's not something I'm comfortable talking about. If you think that Uncle Dave would receive that well. Um, right. Or, you know, just sliding right on by that. And it's also something you can probably talk to your child about um, either before it comes up or after the fact, you know, I handled this situation this way, but is there something better I could have done? What would you prefer I do in these situations? That's great. So just a couple more things. This is another thing that you wrote that I thought was great. You said, uh, some parents feel entitled to a mourning period. And you wrote, your child is not dead. They are still the same person and are taking steps to more fully express themselves. That's something to be celebrated, not mourned. And so I guess the question, though, is is that, you know, there's going to be some parents that ideally they're supportive. They show up in a caring way, but it can be overwhelming for parents. So I understand that part of it to say, like, this isn't about like a mourning period. But what do you think parents should do when they're having a hard time themselves with their son or daughter, if they are? Yeah, it can absolutely be overwhelming. Again, if if you have a therapist to talk to, use that resource. Um, but obviously that's not accessible to everyone. So if there are family members who are aware of your child's identity and will be discreet about the conversations that you have, it can be appropriate to get support from them. But I think always keeping in mind that your feelings about the situation are not the most important thing. And, you know, I think that's as a non-parent, um, I, I have to stretch my imagination a little bit, but I imagine that a large part of parenting that must be a huge challenge is understanding when your child's feelings are a bigger deal than your own in a certain situation. Like, I think there is, you know, without being like self-sacrificing to an unhealthy extent and like compromising your own mental well-being, the position of a parent is a position of maturity and of responsibility that necessitates being able to step back from a situation and step back from your own feelings and reactions and say, what does my child need from me as their parent, as their guardian and caregiver? And are my feelings getting in the way of me providing that? And if so, what do I need to get to a place where I can show up for my child? Julie, what would you say? I know. You can see me, um, so you can see that I'm nodding my head vigorously at what Seth says. You know, I think it goes back to, um, you know, really at, at the bottom of, you know, the bottom line being that um, what Stephen Covey says, which is that, you know, our primary job as parents is to seek first to understand then to be understood. And to me, you know, when your child is having feelings, 
obviously there's a whole, you know, trigger effect that happens, you know, they have feelings, then you have feelings, then the, you know, your partner has feelings, and then the dog has feelings, you know, everybody, because everybody has feelings, right? But I have always thought that it's our job, you know, Seth is absolutely right. We're older, and we are, you know, we accepted responsibility for raising a child, no matter what their age, and that it's our job to, to take a step back from our own feelings about things and really do that kind of seeking, be curious, tell me more, really, you know, I'm here for you. And then, of course, you're probably going to have feelings. I mean, you know, you, you have since your kid was a toddler and was writing on the wall with crayons, you know, you're going to have feelings about the things that your child says, does, you know, ultimately who they are. And you got to take those feelings someplace else and go to your own support system to handle those feelings. I mean, that's basically what I do for parents, right? Is People come to me with all their feelings about, you know, what's going on with their kid, whatever it is, whether it's about coming out or whether it's about uh, the other myriad things that parents need support on. And I feel like that's appropriate. As the grown up in the room, we have to let our kids be kids and feel their feelings, not project our feelings onto them and not to overwhelm them with our feelings. So, you know, I know parents who've, when their child has come out to them, have burst into tears. And, and these are incredibly loving, well-meaning parents. And, and, and it's a mistake. It's still a mistake to burst into tears. You know, and then they have to circle back and repair that. But I guess my point is that in general, parents learn, need to learn to be proactive rather than reactive and to underreact so that their kids can have the feelings and the experiences that they will have separate and apart from us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think the skills that are useful when your child is coming out to you are skills that are useful for all parents. So to start building those skills as early as possible is going to be so helpful. And I would encourage any parents listening who have not had a child come out to them to start thinking about how they would respond to that now and to start learning now. Because, you know, as we said... You can never tell how your child might grow up to identify based on how you see them as a little one. So if you are ready for that, it's going to go so much smoother and you hopefully will not have that experience of bursting into tears and hurting your child, causing conflict, having to repair the relationship from there. Exactly. So, Seth, as we finish up, is there, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there one, if there was one main thing you would want parents to hold on to if this situation comes up with their child, what would it be? I think circling back to that first point that your child knows themselves best 
every person knows themselves best and it's so important to approach everyone in your life not just your children with that compassion and openness and understanding and as Julie brought up that willingness to understand before you're understood and to listen before you're heard um yeah and really believe what people say about themselves they've thought about it more than you can imagine i think that's beautifully said thanks for listening to the parenting horizons podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please share with your family and friends and if you'd like to hear more about julie's work join one of her parenting groups or see about individual counseling please visit parentinghorizons.com or you can email julie at julie.ross at parentinghorizons.com. See you next time.